the views and opinions reflected in any of the stories narrated are solely those of the story contributor and are not necessarily that of the Nightmare Society. This podcast features adult content, so listener discretion is highly advised. And if you or anyone you know is struggling, help is available. Please see the resources in the show notes. Hello again, Nightmare Society, and welcome to another episode of True Horror Stories. Tonight, we're going to hear some stories where the victim was quite literally hunted down. I reference a news article in one of these stories. The link is below in the show notes, but wait until after you hear the story. Now, get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. fiancé did live with us until two weeks ago when I caught him trying to screw other women and I made him move out. That's important to the story. I'm a stay-at-home mom and when he did live with us, my ex worked evenings. Let me set the scene. We live in a tiny town in northern Pennsylvania. My line of townhouses sits in front of a big field that runs to a line of woods. As far as I'm aware, These woods stretch for at least a few miles, and I'm not aware of any houses in there or any roads that lead through them. My living room has three windows that look out to the field, and my bedroom on the second floor has only one window that faces that way as well. People do tend to walk their dogs back in the field, and kids sometimes play back there, but I rarely ever see anyone close to my house. For that reason, I tend to leave my blinds and curtains open, because I guess I just enjoy the view. So in July of 2019, I was laying in bed, trying to fall asleep. All the lights were off, but I had my window and blinds open since it was so warm. I was looking out the window and I noticed a small red and white light just outside. I got up and looked to realize that the lights were coming from a drone. I ran downstairs to where my fiancé at the time was sitting in the living room and ran to the window. I told him what I saw, but of course, when he went to look, it was gone. I was paranoid that the drone could have had a camera on it, and someone was watching me with it. I kept my blinds closed for a while after that. Fast forward to January of this year. I guess I stupidly got comfortable and assumed that whoever it was flying the drone was a one-time creep. My blinds were open and I had just gotten out of the shower. I was sitting on my bed pretty much naked except for my underwear, scrolling on my phone. When out of the corner of my eye, I saw lights again out of the dark window. It was the drone again. I ran out of the room and waited for a few minutes. I peeked back into my room and it was gone. I quickly shut my blinds and got dressed. Honestly, I felt sick at how stupid I was to leave my window open again, 
especially when I was practically naked. Now for the really disturbing part. My two-year-old son and I were out in the field two weeks ago, three days after I kicked out my boyfriend, playing ball. I had my six-month-old strapped to me in a baby carrier. Probably about a half hour after we had been out there, I heard a slight whirring noise coming towards us. I looked up and saw that freaking drone flying towards us. I looked around and didn't see anyone. It stopped right over us. I freaked and grabbed my son and dragged him into the house, looking back at the tree line every so often. I knew they had to be hiding in there. I went inside, closed the blinds, and called my mom and told her about the situation. She told me to just keep an eye out. I said I would. My son likes to line his toys up along the windowsill, so I figured it wouldn't hurt to open them up just an inch or so. A little while later, after we ate dinner, and it was almost dark, I was feeding my six-month-old, and my son was playing. He was standing over by the window, lining up his toys. He started saying, I assumed he was just missing his father and dismissed him by saying he was going to see him that weekend. He kept saying, I looked up and saw him pointing to the window, under the little gap the blinds didn't cover. I froze. I remembered that he calls any man with facial hair Dada because it reminds him of his father. But there was no way someone would be bold enough to actually come up to my window. Not when my neighbors are literally right there. Anyone could see them. But there aren't any lights back there, so unless someone actually stepped out of their house, I guess nobody would see them. Maybe it was my ex, but he should be at work at that time. I ran to the window and moved my son. I didn't want to lift the blinds, but honestly I was sure it had to be the person who had been creeping on me for the past year, and I wanted to see who it was. I pushed the blinds up and was looking at a man who I definitely had never seen before, crouching in front of me. He was bald with a mustache and a goatee. I have no idea how old he was. He could have been anywhere from 30 to 50. When he saw me, he smiled and stood up. I screamed and told him to F off and that I was calling the cops. He just stood there, smiling at me like some freak. I was about to close the blinds again when he said something I couldn't hear. I told him to leave again and he said louder this time, I just want to talk to you. I shook my head no and yelled the same thing to him. He started slapping his hands on the window yelling, over and over. I grabbed my phone, scared he was going to try and break in. I dialed 911. My kids were crying from the yelling and I felt on the verge of tears. I told the operator what was going on. The whole time I was on the phone, the man was pounding on my window, screaming now. He was yelling all kinds of nonsense and I only coughed some of it. He said he's been watching me for months. I'm beautiful. He wants me to come with him. He'll kill my children if I don't. The operator told me to go into an upstairs room and hide until the police arrive. My town doesn't have a police department, so we rely on the state police. She said it would be about 20 minutes, but to stay on the phone with her. The man was practically punching my window now, and just screaming like a maniac. I was about to grab my kids and run upstairs when I heard someone else screaming. The man bolted. 
I looked out and saw my neighbor and his girlfriend. I opened the window and my neighbor said that he heard the man so he ran around the building. He said when the guy heard him he ran back into the woods and disappeared into the tree line. They said they also called the police. I thanked them a hundred times. The police arrived ten minutes later. They did a quick search around the buildings and in the trees but obviously didn't find anything. I've been super paranoid since then and stayed at my parents' house a few nights after it happened. I don't know why that guy targeted me or why he waited so long to do something. I'm just happy my neighbors were there to intervene or who knows what would have happened. My children are currently staying with my parents indefinitely and since I do their grocery shopping now anyway, I'm there with them usually from 12 to 10. I've been sleeping in the living room with my car keys and pepper spray on the table so I can make a quick escape if he comes back. I'm not able to get a fence, but I am looking into getting cameras. My neighbors on both sides of me agreed to keep a lookout, and I've let our maintenance guy know about the situation as well. He lives a few houses down and gave me his number. I'm not armed and I'm not comfortable enough with guns to own one. But the maintenance man carries and said that he would be on high alert. So to the creep who has been stalking me and my family for this last year, I genuinely hope we never meet again. about eight to nine years old my family took a trip skiing to a small resort a couple of hours from where we lived in Spain. The resort itself was a sleepy little town of about four to five hundred people max with a few small supermarkets and hotels and not much else. Typically we picked the worst time possible to embark on the trip which we had been planning for a few good years. The night after we arrived, there was a blizzard, so we spent the first half of the week locked in the hotel. Although we were able to go outside for the remaining few days, we had little to do given that the slopes were shut. The story I want to tell comes from those first few days locked in the hotel. Despite my parents' annoyance at the timing of the trip being a total nightmare, myself and my sister, who was 11 months older, were having a fantastic time. Locked up in the mountains with nothing to do, we were able to spend our days running around the hotel, eating sweets and watching the TV in the lobby. I should probably mention at this point that the hotel was somewhat of a maze. The large bar restaurant area where my parents sat each day reading was at the center of the hotel. A myriad of smaller rooms then connected to the bar area at random points, shooting off in different directions. These rooms often had no discernible function. Each one had the same mahogany interior, and they were full of couches, fireplaces, and antiques that allowed for great games of hide-and-seek. The rooms would often have offshoots themselves, connecting to new rooms, which would then connect to yet more useless wooden caves. As such, it was possible to be four or five rooms away from the main hotel area at any time without knowing exactly where you were or how to get back. Anyway, at some point along the weekend, myself and my sister decided to play hide-and-seek. Bearing in mind the above, it was almost an impossible challenge to find the hider, especially if they moved, 
to this day I'm certain my sister was a filthy little cheat. At one point in the game, I was just about to give up on searching for my sister until I heard her voice from what sounded like a few rooms away. After successfully navigating the web of rooms, I emerged to find her sitting on a couch alongside a German man with gray hair, probably in his 60s, if I had to guess. As soon as I emerged into the room, the man turned to me and told me he was taking my sister to the swimming pool and asked if I wanted to come. I remember immediately thinking it was odd that there was a swimming pool that we hadn't heard of. My parents had been complaining that morning about how much TV we were watching, and so I was sure they would have taken us there had they known about it. And besides, the hotel did not seem of the size to be able to host one. I told the man that I'd have to ask my parents first, and told my sister to come back with me to find them. He immediately replied that I should go and that he'll take my sister on ahead. I told my sister that she absolutely had to come with me, but excited at the thought of the swimming pool, she said she didn't want to. We began to argue with the man taking my sister's side and encouraging me to go ask my parents' permission while he waited with my sister. I dug my foot in, telling my sister that our parents would be very cross if we went somewhere on our own, and after a few minutes bickering, she eventually gave in and came back with me, giving her assurance to the man that we'd come back. Of course, when we told our parents, they were livid. My dad went back to the room to try to find the man, but with all the offshoots given that all the random rooms looked the same, it was almost impossible to be sure that we were in the right one. In any case, there was no sign of him. I remember my dad screaming at the hotel lobby, he needed a list of all the male guests and their room numbers, but of course they wouldn't give it to him. We spent the rest of the trip by our parents' side, terrified of the thought of being locked up in a blizzard with this man. Thankfully, we never saw him again. The scary thing, we checked with the lobby, as we had imagined the hotel did not have a pool. So, scary German man who wanted to abduct me in a blizzard... Let's not meet again. It's relevant for me to tell you up front that I'm a military veteran and I have PTSD and anxiety, as well as a pretty bad case of depression that I'm currently in my third year of. I've read that CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, can massively improve PTSD symptoms and in turn help to reduce anxiety. So I've been trying various techniques at home. The problem there is my wife and I live in a small two-bedroom ground floor flat with an upstairs neighbor with absolutely no concept of other people. A jock, douchebag type, who's a personal trainer, but he trains at home too, because gains. The kind of guy whose only two topics of conversation are protein powder and steamed rice. I'm sure you can imagine the type anyway, with that being a constant issue, meditation and quiet mindfulness are just not possible with the constant noise. My solution to this was to do my normal routine during the day, but take advantage of my insomnia later on. 
around 11 p.m. to 12 a.m. I would put on my coat and my shoes, and as we lived near the beach, I figured I could walk to the beach now that there's pretty much no people around. Walk on the sand and be mindful to the sounds of the ocean. Sounds nice, doesn't it? It was the first two times, but you know what they say. The third time's the charm. The walk to the beach from my home isn't that far, maybe a little over a half mile. But once I got there, I would walk to the very end of the beach until you reach the cliffs where there's a World War II artillery gun turret, which is another half mile-ish. Sometimes I would walk the path up the cliff to the gun and stare out into the blackness of the midnight ocean, which was only broken by the occasional flash of light from the lighthouse. I would sit and listen to the waves crashing against the cliffs. Sometimes I would close my eyes and just concentrate on nothing but that sound. I felt safe there, knowing I was alone, just me and the ocean. Usually before I turn tail and head home, I would walk down to a small row of benches. They're all marked with plaques in remembrance of someone who also came and enjoyed the view, although I imagined they came during the day. The benches are close to an old pub that was shut down years ago, and I had heard the place used to get used as a dogging site, or a brothel, or something, back in the day. So when I saw a vehicle's headlights coming towards the pub, I figured it was some young lads trying to catch potential doggers at it. I sat at the bench and waited for the car to pass me, but as it rounded a bend in the road further up, I was momentarily lit up by the headlamps. The headlights of the vehicle went off immediately and the car went off-road and out of sight for a moment. At this point, I was fully alert and a bit cautious, so I dropped to one knee and ducked behind the bench I had been sitting on. The vehicle drove past me. It was only maybe 40 feet from me, and as the lighthouse illuminated the vehicle, I could now see it was an old beat-up Land Rover kind of vehicle with the crappy camo paint on the wings. At that moment, someone popped out of the top of the vehicle with a scoped rifle and a big flashlight. In that instant, in my head, I was back in Iraq, and my senses felt razor sharp. I dropped onto my belt buckle and crawled into a patch of long grass adjacent to the benches. Then I got in a position where I could see them, but they couldn't see me. The guy with the rifle shone his torch at the exact bench I'd been sitting on, then the others, searching for me. He started looking all around him through the scope, looking for where I might have gone. My heart was pounding so hard I felt as if they could hear it. I held my sleeve over my mouth to muffle the sound of my breathing, but more importantly, to try to hide the condensation of my breath. The vehicle started to move to get a better view of the benches, so I started slowly crawling backwards to the main road, as not only is there a row of houses, but an old stone bus stop I could take hardcover in if they saw me and opened fire. After about five minutes of hiding in the long grass, it started to rain, and they were still clearly looking for me, but were now about 150 feet away. The guy with the rifle was scanning around with his eyes down the scope, so I waited until he was looking away from me to seize my moment and run for cover. 
I pushed my hands hard into the wet dirt to launch myself onto my feet. Then I sprinted towards the bus stop while throwing some zigzags in there just in case he had seen me. Luckily, they hadn't, and I was now far enough away that I could take out my phone and call the police. They were there with a riot van and a squad car in about ten minutes, and as I was talking to the officers in the van, they spotted the gunner's vehicle and took off after them. The officers in the squad car stayed behind to talk to me. The rain was coming down in sheets by now. They asked me if I was absolutely sure it was a rifle, and I told them yes, it was, 100%. No doubt in my mind at all. The officers both looked at each other and then one of them asked, And what exactly is your experience with firearms? I explained that I was ex-army, and I have seen my fair share of all kinds of firearms. They then asked me what I was doing there after midnight, which is a pretty fair question to be honest. I explained that quite ironically I was taking a mindfulness walk to ease my PTSD symptoms. They were satisfied with that explanation if not somewhat amused, and told me that the armed response unit was on route. I asked if they needed me to stay behind and make a statement, but the officers told me not to bother waiting around because they most likely wouldn't need to take a statement beyond the call I made. And also, it was pouring down with rain, so I should get home and get dry. It was over, but I still felt super wired and my heart was still thumping hard in my chest. I started to walk home and when I was about halfway there, a police helicopter buzzed overhead and settled over the area where I had been sitting on the benches, with the searchlight going. It was right then it hit me, like a shotgun to the chest. That happened. That was freaking real. And it was here. What the hell? My head started swimming, my heart was pounding twice as hard now, and my legs felt like jelly, and my lungs felt glitchy. I couldn't breathe properly. I dropped to my knees, crying in the street in the pouring rain, the only light coming from a nearby street lamp with a flickering bulb. I was gasping for breath, thoughts flashing in my head thinking that if I had stayed still, if I hadn't hunched behind the bench, if I had done any number of things differently, or hadn't, then I could have gurgled my last breath alone in the dark, in the cold wet dirt, and my wife would be none the wiser until the following day. I have no idea if they were even there for me, and if they were, how could they know I would be there? I'd been twice before, I suppose. It's not like there's animals to hunt there beyond foxes. But why hunt foxes from a vehicle with a rifle and a flashlight at midnight? Anyway, I'm not ashamed to say that that experience terrified me. I guess my army training helped me stay alert and to stay hidden, but I don't really know. I don't go walking at night anymore and I have the occasional nightmare about the whole thing. I ended up making a phone call to the local police later on to try and get an update on what happened. After a quick description of what the initial incident was, the officer on the phone was able to find the incident report right away. Basically, the first officers on the scene confirmed that they had seen the vehicle, and they had gone off-road in pursuit. They said that they had given chase over difficult terrain, for as long as they were able to, then the vehicle turned off all lights and made an escape using the darkest cover. 
The armed response units were called as a precaution and patrolled the entire area while the helicopter was dispatched in order to try and locate the vehicle with heat cameras. Both teams were unsuccessful in finding them, as by the time they had arrived on scene, they had gotten away. CCTV was also checked but yielded absolutely nothing. I told the officer I was sorry if they felt I had wasted their time and that I guess I had overreacted on account of my PTSD. She told me that as far as they are concerned, I did the right thing. She also said that there have been a few isolated accounts of gunshots having been heard in that area over the last few years, so maybe rethink taking my walks so late at night. I didn't have the energy to explain again why I used to wait until it was so late to go walking, but any advice about avoiding getting shot is good advice, so... Instead, I just agreed with her and ended the call. After I'd hung up, I just sat for a few minutes going over the whole thing in my head. It was most likely nothing when all is said and done, but if nothing else, it's taught me that being hypervigilant isn't always such a bad thing. So to the guy with the scoped rifle who pulled up on me meditating, let's not meet. school that I went to had vocational classes, and each student had to sign up for one. In order to help the student body do this, we were all sent through a rotation of the classes during freshman year, our first year of attending high school. We would spend five days straight in each class and then go to the next one. At the end, we would choose each vocational class we would like to attend for the remainder of our time in high school. I met a senior when my group went through the electronics class. He was obviously not one of the popular kids. A little geeky, but nice enough. Unfortunately, he got way too friendly way too fast. I was only 14, and he was probably about 18 at the time. He put his hands on me. The back of my neck, the small of my back, my upper thigh. I told him to stop. My female classmate sitting next to me saw this as well. When I went to exit the room at the end of the class, I made sure to hit this guy with a big thick science book when he tried to touch me again. It took me about a month or so to report him. The vice principal, a former police officer, told me I was lying and that I was trying to ruin the boy's life. She said she'd seen this plenty of times before, and all of my claims were dismissed. A few years after high school ended, that boy made headlines in the local newspaper. He and his friend, who had also gone to my school, killed a 15-year-old girl in a local hotel. I actually also knew the older sister to this girl from a babysitter I used to go to as a young child. I got called in as a character witness, along with about five other girls who had the same sort of experience with him. We ended up not being called to the trial, though. The friend killed himself before he could be tried, but Michael Kaiser is in prison now, and he's basically a nutcase at this point. Please be sure to check out the article listed in the notes, but some of the important parts say The body of Kimberly Holton, a resident of the Dover Air Park near Dover Air Force Base, was recovered less than five miles off the coast of Cape May Point, New Jersey. The oddity of the case captivated readers across the country, 
as Delaware and New Jersey investigators spent several weeks piecing together how Holton died and who was responsible. So basically, the end of September in 2003, Michael Kaiser, the guy in the story, and another man, Jacob Jones, lured Holton to the Dover Budget Inn. They both knew Holton through uh, Jones's girlfriend, who was the daughter of one of Holton's guardians. So in their own depraved way, they lured Holton to the hotel by saying they wanted to help her with family problems. She had an unstable childhood, uh, living with her mother, an uncle, her grandfather, and guardians at various times, and had moved at least four times in two years. The day before her death, she learned that her guardian wanted to move again. And this is how people usually end up being trafficked, unfortunately. So at the budget inn, they held her down and smothered her duct taped her, wrapped her body in a blanket, and put her in the trunk of Jones's car. A few hours after leaving the hotel, Jones was identified at Lowe's on surveillance, where he and another guy purchased two cinder blocks, five locks, and 15 feet of chain. Jones would later wrap Holton's body in the chain and use the cinder blocks as weights to sink her body. The police believe that Jones drove to the Dover Air Force Base where he worked as a part-time flight instructor while a student at Delaware State University with Holton in his trunk. So, yeah, this all happened when these people were still young and in college. So not too long after uh, the story actually happened. Late at night, he chartered a single-engine plane by himself, and experts apparently think it's possible for an experienced pilot to fly a plane at 40 miles per hour and tilt it so that a body could fall out. Wild. Uh, The police stated that they'd never had a case where a body turns up in international waters that was dropped by a plane. Jones never faced trial. He shot and killed himself after being questioned by investigators. And Jones's death led investigators to Kaiser, who tried to hang himself in prison with his shoelaces shortly after his own arrest. Kaiser received a life sentence in 2005. Wow, it's crazy how close you can be to someone so dangerous and never even know. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time.